Hello, and welcome to the second episode of the Health Science Podcast. We made it. I'm your host, Devin. Thanks for being here. So, a uh, quick shout out to Chase Drew. He's a good friend of ours and musician uh, to provide us for that introduction music. Uh, check him out on Spotify, Apple, yeah, maybe even Tidal. Yeah. I don't know who uses that service, but... All platforms. All that stuff. Uh, support him. Great guy. So... Like always, I'm your host, Devin. I'm joined by a good friend of mine, Zach Hunter. Ayo. He's also the host of the Fiscal Frisk, which is yes. a podcast that is also available on all these platforms. Yep. Uh, Zach, how are you doing today? I'm doing good. I'm excited. Second episode. First paper. I know. We're on the road here. We're ready so, to go. Um, if you haven't listened to it, uh, we did a really short uh, just intro podcast uh, about me saying what the, the channel will be. I'll go over it uh, really briefly here, but if you want to learn a little bit more about us, uh, check that episode out as well. Yep. Um, so thankfully with the whole virus situation, um, Zach and I have been able to adjust our setups to uh, work remotely, which is a lot easier given that it's just audio. Yes. Um, and I'm such an editing wizard. Anyway, if you're new to the podcast, here's what we do. So we're going to take a scientific paper, a uh, health science paper, and we're going to break it down. I'm a master's student. Um, I have a degree in kinesiology. Hopefully, my background will make me knowledgeable enough to get into the nitty-gritty of some of these papers. Uh, so an issue that we had with research is that there's so much out there, especially health stuff. It's so easy to get lost in you know, the numbers and results. And what do they mean? Um, also really easy to get male- uh, mislead by certain scientific jargon. Yep. Um, so Zach's background um, is not in sciences. Uh, so he's going to act as you guys. He's going to ask questions and, and slow me down. Um, and hopefully if, if he has something that needs clarification, um, you guys will probably be thinking the same thing. So, um, yes. he's also going to make it a little more of a dialogue too. Uh, we don't want this to be just me talking the entire time. Yeah. We don't need a monologue. We want to make this, um, a little bit more conversational and more relaxed. So yep. now the good stuff. So title of today's paper is the relationship between cardiorespiratory fitness and mortality in normal weight, overweight and obese men. So. Starting off here, um, if you don't know, papers are, research papers are going to be structured um, basically the same way. They're going to start with an introduction. Uh, they're going to go over their methods um, and talk about the participants, who they're actually doing the study on. Um, and then they do usually stuff about their setups, so how they're actually going to capture some of this data. Uh, and then they're going to show some results. And then at the end, they're going to kind of summarize this in, in a discussion. So with the introduction... Uh, they're going to start off here. Uh, they're going to mention, so weight in kilograms divided by square of height. They're defining that as BMI. That's a really typical measure that um, you're going to see. Your doctor will even take that. Um, and they're they're going to describe it here, which is important because everybody's probably heard of BMI and they've heard of what obese and what normal weight is. And they might be able to even just look at somebody and, and kind of know what that is. But that's not good enough for science. We have to actually have a specific value or cutoff point so yeah they're going to define that here early on so that when you're reading this paper you're going to say okay well we we know what that title is we've got normal weight overweight and obese so normal weight anything under 25 uh overweight is 25 to 29 this is percent right uh kilograms per meter squared yeah kilograms over meter squared so yeah kilograms divided by the square of height got it and then anything over 30 is what they're defining as obese now Obesity measures um, using BMI, not exactly the most accurate way um, because, you know, you're only taking their height and weight. So 
a good example is somebody who's really athletic. You might have a lot more body mass, but you're not gonna be fat. So yeah. in that case, you could be really short and you could be absolutely ripped. And then your BMI is gonna be really high. Yeah, so, exactly. So it doesn't work for everyone, but for the average person, it works pretty well. And you'll see why uh, later on in the paper here, when they define uh, who is this study gonna be performed on, and you'll see that uh, really small chance they're gonna be like any high caliber athletes in this group. So uh, BMI is gonna work pretty well for this. Um, and then they say that it's a prospective observational data. So this is where they're going to take measures. And then later in time, prospectively, they're going to look at the outcome. Uh, there's retrospective where you wait for someone to have an event and then you look back at, okay, what risk factors did they have? This is the opposite. This is prospective. Um, usually prospective designs are a little bit better um, uh, as far as observational studies. Um, they're not as good as randomized controlled trials. You'll hear that. Those are kind of the gold standard of science. Uh, prospective observational. That's kind of the best version of, of a, a pro, uh, observational study. Um, and then they're going to say with an outcome of mortality, mortality, if you've probably heard of that word, but you don't know exactly what it is, mortality is just kind of like a fancy word for death. So increasing your risk for mortality is, well, how likely are you to die from certain diseases, right? Yep. So total sample size, 25,714. That's big. That's good. That's a lot of people. That's what we like to see. Um, and the dates. So what was it examined during uh, the time period between 1970 and 1993? So we got 23 years worth of data in this study, which is good. Um, but again, it's also from a certain time frame. So keep that in the back of your head. Yes. Um, now later in the paper, they talk about um, establishing the, the active individuals uh, have high levels of cardiorespiratory fitness in most studies. And they cite... Uh, references four through seven. So they've got some papers to back up the fact that, hey, if you exercise, you're going to have a good level of cardiorespiratory fitness. So making a link between that is important because to some people, hey, if I exercise and maybe I don't see results, am I actually getting more cardiorespiratory fitness? Yes, you are. That is a fact. Um, uh, important to do that, or sorry, important to make that link uh, because when they make... Uh, when they take a measure of somebody's cardiorespiratory fitness, they're making the assumption that it's it's relating to those people exercising. And then that's where the conclusions come from. So they can't just say, I mean, they could say, hey, you know, you're more cardiorespiratory fit. It's good. But like, are you born that way? What does that mean? So yeah. they're saying that that that's the behaviors that actually affect that, um, which is which is a lot better of a conclusion to make than just, hey, hey, you're fit. Um, you're going to have more health. It's like in this case, if you work out, you're going to have more health, which is going to be, or so you're going to be more fit, which means you're going to have uh, less risk of mortality or more healthy. Yep. Now they get into the methods. So they're going to look at uh, patient data. So they say here, and this is word for word, quote, study participants came to the clinic for a periodic health examinations and counseling about diet, exercise, and other lifestyle factors associated with increased risk of chronic disease. Many patients uh, were sent by their employers for examination, some were referred by physicians and others were self-referred. So this is important, um, as I mentioned earlier, about who are these results going to be applicable to. Um, in this case, we've got a lot of data from a lot of people, but who are these people that we're talking about? Uh, it's going to tell us what type of conclusions we can make. So if we study a certain group of people in a certain place, we can't apply the same conclusions to another group of people in another place. There are a lot of factors that are going on. Um, 
So in this case, when I mentioned BMI is not good for athletes, well, why would, an, why would a really healthy, fit, you know, prime athlete be showing up? Or, you know, why would their employer or doctor refer them to a clinic that is meant for giving counseling for chronic disease? So that's also kind of supporting the, um, the use of the BMI measure, but it's, it's, it's making it clear uh, what kind of conclusions that we're going to draw later too. And these are all men. So um, they say later that they just didn't have enough data at the time to do the analysis on the women. Yeah. Um, but if you're a woman listening to this, take it with a grain of salt. Now, uh, there's a lot of studies saying that you know, uh, exercise is going to make you more fit, which is going to um, decrease your risk of some of these chronic diseases. But um, certain chronic diseases, men suffer from in much greater numbers. So the numbers aren't going to be exactly the same here. Yeah, too. it's going to be a little skewed. You might see similar effects, but again, don't just say, hey, you know, women are at this much risk because this paper, that's wrong. We can't make that conclusion, right? Yes. Um, and then they're going to say they're going to collect demographic data as well, uh, which is important. So these are likely things. Uh, so like they always collect age, sex, race, uh, and things that are usually shown to um, have an effect on what we're looking at. So in this case, it'd be pointless to measure the length of their ring finger. It's that has nothing to do with their fitness levels. Yeah. Right. So they're going to take things that have kind of been, um, or demographics that have previously been shown to have differences. So again, men and women might be different. Um, different races might be different. Ages will be different, all that stuff. Um, they're going to go into say that their cardiorespiratory fitness was determined, um, using a particular test. Now I have a background in kinesiology, so I know these tests quite well. Um, this is how they scientifically determine somebody, somebody's cardiorespiratory fitness. Okay. Um, it's not just saying, hey, how far can you run? We have an actual number on this, like we do with the BMI. It's important to define that. Um, so there's sub-maximal tests to determine somebody's, uh, or sort of estimate someone's fitness levels. So that means when you exercise um, in a controlled environment, in this case, the treadmill test, you have to get to your maximum. Like you physically have to exert yourself until you can't go anymore. And they say that's called volitional fatigue until you just say, I can't go anymore. And that's what they assume your maximal is. There are some sub-maximal ways to do that, but the the only way to directly measure that or, or the most direct way to measure that is to do a maximal test. And it is an assumption though, correct? Like if I'm on the treadmill and just say like I'm having a bad day and I just can't run as far, like, it, like do the numbers skew a lot or not really? Yeah, so like they, they do have cutoffs. So um, whether somebody says they can't exercise anymore, it, it, there's a little bit of a gray area there. There's certain heart rate ranges. They would say if, if somebody reaches um, 85% of their heart rate max, um, we just cut the test there. Um, or if Okay, they, so it's not like you're actually going to your physical max. Like well, it's well, within 15%-ish. Well, so this is the thing is, is, is even if you don't reach your heart rate max, technically you could still reach your VO2 max. So... The message or the uh, not message the um, the outcome value that we're going to get from this is a maximal VO2. Now, if you don't get all the way to the end, it's called a peak VO2. Mm -hmm. There are ways to confirm it um, by exercising uh, supra maximally. So, if you do twenty percent above the same value that you ended at, you know, like fifteen minutes later, uh, I forget exactly what the time is. Um, you should see the oxygen consumption peak at the same place. If it peaks at the same place, you've reached max. So okay. there are ways to confirm it. But okay. um, in, in this particular uh, study, again, these people aren't really big athletes. Uh, so you're, you, you are making some assumptions on, on this level, but yeah. it's a, it's a, it's a pretty, pretty well validated. Uh, yeah. Way of no, measuring I, get, I just want to make sure like, 
if I just went in and just like say like again it just wasn't like a good day and like I can only reach say like 65 percent I'm just like ah, I can't do this anymore like if that would skew the results at all yeah so and, and I'll mention that later um, about some people weren't able to finish the test um, but I'll mention kind of what they did to take that into account but that definitely does happen okay um, so the value you get uh, vo2 vo2 literally just means the volume of oxygen o2 is oxygen how much can this person take in and utilize um, from their body uh, to to power their muscles right and this is going to reflect how well our system so this is cardiorespiratory means uh, anything breathing in and delivering oxygen so all your blood vessels how well can you get the oxygen through there how well can you pump that blood um, through the body and um, and then how well your cells can actually take up and utilize that um now a little bit later we got the principal method of mortality surveillance was the national death index which has established validity and has been used widely in population-based cohort studies so a little bit of jargon there validity is very important you're going to see that a lot with uh, research so validity is basically just you know if we talk about a, uh, the validity of say a measurement tool it's just does that measurement tool actually measure what it intends to measure and and in this case if we're talking about a death index does the national death index that they use accurately capture the mortality data uh, in the, like that's actually happening in the world. So it says that it has been established, uh, which is a good thing to mention by the authors. Um, and then they say that they're going to stratify uh, the sample. Stratification is just a fancy word for grouping people. So in this case, we're going to group them by the BMI. So we're going to have... Yep. Um, all the demographic data, all these different measures of their VO2, and then we're going to categorize them into the uh, normal weight, overweight, and obese categories. Um, and then they're going to look at different uh, mortality markers uh, based on some of that self-report stuff. So, and then they say later on, this is really important um, to clarify their approach. So, uh, like Zach asked earlier about um, if somebody couldn't complete a test, how do you know that there's ma that that is their max? What if they're having a bad day? So if somebody can't physically go to their max, they can't reach, you know, on the on the on the data, if their oxygen um, intake is still rising and yeah. they end up stopping, if they haven't reached that plateau, um, they have stopped early, and you don't actually know what that true value is. So yeah. they say that they take a conservative approach. Now the word conservative, you've heard all over the place, whether it's in politics, yep. um, whether it's in being conservative with your money, all that stuff. There's a really particular and important definition in research. So whenever you hear someone say conservative approach, a lot of the times they're talking about reducing a thing called type one error. So you're going to see there's type one and type two error. Type one in health research is a little bit more of the important one in this case, and we try to limit it as much as possible. So a type one error is called a false positive. This is when we get a positive reading, which in this case um, would be, we would make the conclusion, something something positive would be that there is a difference here that people who exercise, people who are more fit, um, are are not going to, are sorry, going to be less at risk for, for mortality and that people that don't exercise are more at risk. That's, if, if we say that, and then there actually is no difference between those groups. That exercise does absolutely nothing. No. That's a type 1 error. We've said it's a false positive. We, we, think, it's, we think there's a difference when actually there is none. Now, yeah. um, 
which is huge in the healthcare industry, right? Like that yeah. you want to minimize type one as much as possible because last thing you want to do is if you tell them, yeah, if you do this, you will reduce. And then it actually doesn't. So, yeah. And, and that's the point is like most of the time in health is, is if somebody say on a cancer treatment and then we do a study on a new cancer treatment, we say that, Hey, this is better. They're going to stop the old one and start the new one. And if you start them on a new treatment that maybe you got a false positive on yeah. and you didn't do the right steps to minimize that type one error, they're going to be stopping a potentially life-saving treatment to start one that you've said is life treating, but actually isn't. Exactly. So there's a lot of risk there. So there are certain things and, and, and a conservative approach to when you're missing data is, is, is one of the first steps that we take in this. So in this case, if somebody didn't finish the test, they're automatically put in the most high risk category. Which makes sense. Because think of it, if, if, if we stop the test early, all we know is that they would have stopped somewhere above that point. They might have stopped a little bit short after. They yeah. might have been really healthy, but you don't know what that data is. Yeah, exactly. So we assume the worst. Because in this case, if we if we said, oh, we'll just leave it at that or we'll, we'll do something, it, it, you, you might be increasing the risk for type 1 error. Right, because we don't know what that true value is. So if we don't know the true value, we assume it's horrible. So that's actually going to increase type two error, which I can explain in another paper. But yep. that's basically saying it's a false negative. So so there might be a difference, and we're saying there isn't based yeah. on our data. So those are always going to be going hand in hand. But in that case, um, false false negatives aren't as life threatening or as detrimental as false positives. So we accept that, right? So then they get into some of the measures. So they say they're going to make, be making a computer model and they're going to be adjusting for covariables. This is important. Um, this is just a kind of a mathematical thing. So when you plug data into a model, you're going to put covariates into it. Covariates are things that might be associated with the outcome. And the computers are really good at calculating this stuff. So they can say, well, if I've got these traits, X, Y, and Z, how much at risk am I for death? Um, and then uh, the covariates are thrown into that model so that you can isolate the effects. So if I had, you know, maybe four different things about you that might make you more or less at risk, I could give you a, a total risk or I could say, okay, the the thing that maybe you should change is exercise because it adds to the risk more than your other traits. So what would be an example of a trait like smoking, like that type of stuff? Yeah. So in this case, they've got... Um, uh, what do they got? Yeah, current cigarette smoking, yeah. hypertension, diabetes, all these things that could cause you to die. Yeah, so like the stuff that makes you uh, some sort of risk and it's just a way to isolate specifically just exercise and your yeah. BMI rate. So you could quantify exactly how much risk is added by being unfit or how much is reduced by being fit. Right? Okay. Um, and they say they're calculating relative risk, which means the lowest category is going to be a one um, you'll see what I mean there. And then you can, uh, whenever anything's relative, it's compared to something else. So yeah. you're, you're not going to get uh, relative risk is going to give you um, a relative number, which is relative to a baseline level. Yeah. In this case, the baseline level is the normal weight, you know, no category person. Yes. Um, so now the really cool part here about this study. So they've recap, we've categorized people into weight categories um, we've adjusted for all our other covariates, whether it's smoking, diabetes, all this stuff. Um, we've taken a measure of their cardiovascular fitness, and now we're going to see what, uh, how risk, how at risk are these people for dying um, based on the results of the tests. So 
Now we get these numbers. So they've got the low cardiovascular fitness. So this is a row. Okay. And then we're going to go across the row into okay. the columns, which is normal weight, overweight, and obese. All right. And these are relative risks. To the lowest one, we have a one. Yep. Makes sense. So somebody with low fitness um, in the normal weight category is a one. If you go, uh, or sorry, I mixed that up. Yeah, the category is low fitness, uh, yes and no. So a low fitness no actually means they have a good fitness. Yep. So they're the one. Um, so we've got good fitness, and then we go over to the overweight people with good fitness. Yeah. 1.1. Okay, so 10% more. And then we go to the obese person with good fitness, and they're a 1.1 as well. So there's no difference so between. There's, and, it, and it's, it, it's um, I don't think they mention here, they do another analysis further to whether that's statistically significant. But what we can draw yeah. from that is that they're only 10% more at risk um, compared to the normal weight person um, if you're fit. That's shocking, actually. So then the, the, the cool thing comes, well, the cool thing, but the more shocking thing comes with um, looking at low fitness. So someone who's low fitness, um, normal weight is a 2.2, right? So, so that that's compared to a double. one. Yeah. So it's compared to a one. Um, whereas the, uh, that's, that's, that's in the normal weight. Yeah, that's just normal. And then normal. you go to the overweight, it's 2.5. And then you go to obese, and it's 3.1. All right, so the obese yeah. obese so value represents a two hundred and ten percent increase over over the normal weight healthy person, right? Whereas if you're fit, yeah. it's only a ten percent increase. So you can actually be so you could be obese and fit, obese and fit, and then not be really that much more at risk for from some of these. Uh, what is this? A uh, uh, this is all cause mortality. So you, you can't you're you're not going to be that much more at risk of dying than than yeah. a normal person well, as long as you're fit. What's crazy about this, like what you said, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but um, 2.2 for normal weight for non, like non-healthy, like non ex, like Low high, fitness, low normal fitness. weight is a 2.2. It's, it's so compared to 1.1. <laughs> you double your risk just by not having like the high fitness, like the fitness yeah. level. Yeah, you could be obese. So like you fit and be less at risk yeah. than someone who's normal weight and not. So I feel like that's like really important to like know if you're just like an average person with like mm -hmm. that doesn't work out. Like you might just be like, oh, well, like, you know, I have good genes and other stuff, but I don't need to work out. Like I can stay like relatively in the normal weight range. Like well, this, you can still increase the, your. This is the discussion that you, you got to get into, right? Yeah. So, so they, they mentioned here that um, comparing this to cardiovascular disease, which is something that kills a lot of freaking people, mm -hmm. it's... Uh, when people walk through the door in this study, they said um, 50% of them, so half the people that walked through the door were unfit by their measures, yeah. and only 16% of them had CBD. So in that case, it's, it's more common that someone would be unfit yeah. than someone would have cardiovascular disease. And they say if the association between fitness and mortality is causal, and some of the obese men in the cohort would have been fit, they might have been able to uh, uh, decrease the deaths by as much as 44%. Just That's in that crazy. one study, and they, I mean, forty-four percent would be 0. 0.44 times the, the total amount of the yeah, obese people over in the study. The, That's insane, right? So what they say is, well, if 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 someone by not being fit is actually more at risk of dying than if you have cardiovascular disease, and it's more prominent, like uh -huh. you're you're more likely to see it. Um, that doctors should probably be looking at this in their clinic, and and you should have physical fitness tests maybe once a year to kind of 
keep up on that too. Yeah. Um, and then I guess a couple final notes too is um, th- this causes us to question kind of our understanding of, of exercise. So uh, now I don't have the data on me right now, but I know that one of the most powerful driving forces for people to exercise is, is to look better physically. And and you can see mm-hmm. that too, right? Like you get magazines, you get stuff, you know, get your beach body, you know, get ready well, for being summer. Fit sells, right? Well, that, that it's, it's, it's a shiny object. It's like, Hey, if you exercise, you'll get this. Yeah. Get um, those washboard abs, that bikini body. But for most people, it's not really true, right? It's, it's a, it's a, it's a much more flashier and enticing kind of selling product. Yeah. And you have to realize that there's also a business in exercise. Oh yeah. Now there's the health side and obviously it's, it's, it's incredible. Exercise can do so much good for so many people, but, um, you have to understand the effects and where those expectations would be, right? So for the average person, um, it, it's maybe easy to get disappointed with maybe not seeing those physical results. You're not slimming up. You're not looking good. Yeah. Um, when in reality, a lot of the changes are actually going on inside of you and you're getting all the same health benefits. And then you could be physically overweight or even obese and still actually be less risk than a normal weight person who's unfit, right? Yeah. Um, now we can expand upon this uh, in future future podcasts. We can also consider some data um, that maybe suggests that um, exercise is actually pretty lousy for the average person for losing weight, yep. um, which is good because I, I don't want to discourage people from saying, hey, I want to look better. I should exercise. But um, you also have to take in the, the breadth of, of what's actually changing on your body. And I think yeah. um, with that industry kind of driven uh, mantra, it's it's people kind of put the looks first and then they, they, they look at the, the effects on the inside and the mortality risk later. And that's kind of a side benefit when it really is, it should be your more the main point. Um, so again, uh, that kind of concludes the paper and, and gives you something to think about, um, in the future. And if you have any other suggestions about papers you want to do in the future, um, send those in any critiques or things you thought I missed. Um, maybe I should add, Um, We'll have our contact information and whatnot in there. And again, this has been the Health Science Podcast. Thank you, Zach, for doing an excellent job. No problem. And uh, yeah, we'll see you guys in the next episode. See you guys.